Luke, the 22nd chapter, and let's begin in verse 14, the word of the Lord. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And they took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now please turn to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Beginning in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 20, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? I shall praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this cup and drink, excuse me, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, he do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And let's, uh, well, let's finish the finish it, although I want to concentrate on verse 34. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Well, today we have the extraordinarily special privilege of celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the sacrament at the Passover meal, as we just read, um, with his disciples, the apostles, the very night he was betrayed by Judas, uh, Judas Iscariot, uh, to the Romans. I think we all know know what happened. That meal uh, would be his last hours with his apostles before he would go to the cross. But what is the Lord's Supper? 
Well, the most recent time we sat at the Lord's table for this sacrament, I preached a sermon that attempted to partially answer that question from the Scriptures. And today I'd like to revisit that question. We'll look at some of what we looked at last time and see what else we can learn about the Lord's Supper. See, the more we understand it, the more we will receive blessings from it. Well, we know the mechanics of it. We have prayers, we have the bread, we have the wine. But what does it all mean? Is it simply a memorial? Just remembering God, remembering Christ. Uh, Or is it more than that? And if it's more, what? Well, let's review for a moment. Is the Lord's... uh, First of all, there there are a lot of questions that we can ask about the Lord's Supper, if you think about it. Uh, For example, is it open to everybody who just wants to take it? Um, Does the church have any authority to admit or not admit someone to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, it says, let a man examine himself. What if, what if an atheist examines himself and thinks, okay, it's okay for me to do it? Uh, can anyone who calls himself a Christian, no matter what they believe, that means, uh, take the Lord's Supper? Or should the sacrament be limited only to those who are members of a particular church? Uh, or are there any restrictions on that? Or Uh, or or members of any church. Uh, Mormons say they're Christians, so should they be taking the Lord's Supper in this church? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc. They all say they're Christians. Or should it be only members of an evangelical church? Um, So we debate, you know, how do we define evangelical? So, you know, or, you know, we have all these questions. And you may have been in churches when they say, well, uh, anybody can come. I mean, I was in a church, and we're talking about this uh, with the Smiths the other night. Uh, I was at a funeral in a church uh, where the, uh, uh, the Episcopal Church and the priest said, anybody can come even if you don't believe in God. You're welcome to come to take communion. Well, is that right? Uh, should anybody be allowed to, to do that? Is only up to the person? Uh, should there be any qualifications for children? Should, should a certain age or just any child can come? Um, toddlers? Uh, what about... Okay, you say, well, some people say, well, they need to make a profession of faith before they come to the Lord's table. What about people with physical or mental disabilities that prevent them from making a verbal profession of faith? Um, is there anything unscriptural about celebrating the Lord's Supper at home among families uh, or giving it to people who can't leave their house? You know. uh, what about people who can't come to church, physically disabled? Should they be denied the Lord's Supper? Uh, how do you handle that situation? How often should it be observed? Annually, like Jehovah's Witnesses do it once a year. Uh, quarterly, Monthly, weekly, daily, several times a day. Roman Catholics do it several, you know, hundreds of thousands of times every day uh, in their churches around the world. So these are real big questions that church leaders leaders have to answer. And of course, you have to look at the scripture to get the answers. But sometimes the scripture isn't real clear. So you've got to say, well, how do, how do we handle situations like that? And they, they've been debated for centuries. Um, and 
a lot of churches have different different ideas. Denominations have their rules, and uh, independent churches are are all different. Um, a lot of churches that say that they're reformed uh, have have uh, done things that the reformed church has never done in the, through the years, uh, allowing uh, children and uh, even infant uh, communion, known as pedo communion, uh, and that's caused a lot of church splits. Um, well, why should we care about those things? Doesn't that sound like nitpicking? Well, we care about them because the Lord cares about them. It's a sacrament. And he takes it very seriously. And, of course, we should also. Um, so we can't deal with all these questions. I want to assure you I'm not going to try to deal with every one of those questions uh, today. And we have, we have dealt with some of them before. Uh, the Lord's Supper, I said, is a sacrament. Uh, it's only one of two he's given. And we know the other, of course, being baptism. Uh, what is a, a sacrament? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines it as a sacrament as a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs or, or outward you know, to the senses, Christ and, and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So he's given the Lord's Supper exclusively to his church, not to the world. That's why marriage, for example, is not a sacrament, even though some churches believe that marriage is a sacrament. Marriage is given to the world. Sacrament is given to the church. Uh, so we should look at it carefully. What does it mean? Uh, generally speaking, there, there are four points of view, and I'll go over them quickly on, on what is the Lord's Supper. Is it a memorial, or what exactly is it? Uh, the first is that it's, that it's a memorial service. That he's not physically present in the blood, in the, excuse me, in the bread and the wine. Uh, and nor is the Holy Spirit present any more or any less than during just a worship, normal worship service without the Lord's Supper. The most well-known proponent of that was the uh, Swiss reformer Heinrich Zwingli uh, who said it's just a, a memorial. Uh, and those that believe that teaching today include Baptists, uh, Pentecostals, and uh, I would say most non-denominational fundamentalists uh, believe that as well. On the opposite end of that, it's just a memorial and it doesn't have any greater spiritual meaning than we just remember Christ by doing it. He told us to do it, so we do it. On the opposite you know, end of that, in stark contrast, is the teaching of uh, the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, Roman Catholics, uh, Episcopal, and others of that tradition. Some of the Lutheran denominations uh, have moved into this camp. They say the bread and wine actually become the flesh and blood of Christ. Physically become God. In other words, that piece of bread is Christ. He's there. That's why they're very, they are very uh, careful about how it's handled, and it's very holy, and you're not to, th- you know, throw the unused ones in the garbage, or because that's the literal body of Christ. Now, you take it to a laboratory and have it analyzed. Well, do you find human flesh in it? No, and they admit that. But they say it, it's it becomes it uh, literally. It's called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. You can remember that by thinking trans. Like uh, 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 the word trans means transformation, change. 
uh, into. A transformer, for example, changes one form of electricity into another. Transubstantiation. Substantiation, substance. So change of substance, transubstantiation. The substance of the bread and wine is transformed. It's also called the doctrine of the real presence. Uh, maybe it won't surprise you that the mainline Presbyterian denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA, which is, you know, if you go in any town and see a Presbyterian Church, it's very likely it's PCUSA. Uh, they affirm belief in the real presence uh, in 1997. Uh, so they're, uh, they're on their way to union with Rome. The third teaching, first was a just a memorial service, and then I said it's a, the, the other trips, that it's the literal, actual, real presence, uh, is what was originally the Lutheran position, uh, that of Martin Luther and his followers. It says Christ is physically present in, with, and under the bread and wine, but the bread and wine do not change into his flesh and blood. Now this gets a little mystical. Uh, he's there physically, but the bread and wine still remain as bread and wine. He's, uh, they'll often say he's under it. Uh, it's called sacramental union, uh, sometimes called a consubstantiation. Con, we know, is the word with, right? So uh, it's uh, with the substance. They say the bread and wine continues to exist, but Christ is physically present also. Uh, it's... I, I would call it a mystical subset of the Orthodox or uh, Catholic position. Uh, they teach Christ basically is and is not physically present in the bread and wine. He's there, but he's not there. It's a mystery, so we can't go any farther. Um, and some Anglicans and Episcopals believe this as contrasted with the full presence. Uh, and that some also believe in the full presence. Okay, quickly, the fourth teaching is that of most of the reformers from the, from the Protestant Reformation, including John Calvin, John Knox, you know, many of those names that you know, including the authors of the Westminster Confession and Catechisms. They say the Bible teaches that the Lord's Supper is a memorial, but it's more than a memorial. They say that Christ is not physically present in any way in the bread and wine. They don't change into his body and blood, nor so they don't believe in transubstantiation. They don't believe in consubstantiation, that he's not in, with, or under the bread and wine, or in any way physically present. However, they go on to say the Lord's Supper is more than a memorial. It's a sign and seal, which we just read in the Shorter Catechism. The sign, what does that mean, a sign and seal? Well, the sign is the shown by those who participate in the Lord's Supper. It is their outward sign of their rededication to the Lord. The seal is done by the Holy Spirit. He uses the Lord's Supper to seal in the believing communicants in the benefits of the sacraments, that is, our continuing growth in Christ. So he's giving us a, if you will, a, a, a special blessing in the Lord's Supper to help us continue to grow in Christ. Uh, part of this comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, so those that teach that position are the historically Reformed churches um, and uh, the Presbyterian or uh, Dutch of Reform, German Reformed, in the Reformed tradition. So... What can we learn from Scripture 
to guide us in determining which of these four teachings is biblical since they disagree with one another they can't all be the teaching of the Bible please turn to 1 Corinthians which we just uh, looked at in chapter 11 I want to revisit 26 and uh, beginning in 26 for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death till he come wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep and if any man hunger let him eat at home that ye come not together unto condemnation I've highlighted a few things from those verses. First from 27, who shall ever, I'm going to paraphrase, take the Lord's Supper, unworthily is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 29, he that drinks unworthily drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Many are weak and sickly among you, many sleep, don't come together unto condemnation. Well, those are real challenging verses for those who teach that the supper is simply a memorial and has no deeper significance. What does eating the bread and drinking the cup unworthily mean if it's just a memorial? Uh, It also is a problem for those who admit anybody to the Lord's table. What does unworthily mean? How can someone participate in a simple memorial service unworthily? What does it mean that if you do so, you should be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord and you eat and drink damnation to yourself? How can you have such a horrible condemnation for a simple memorial service. If the Lord's Supper is simply in memory of Jesus and no more, why are the participants, the communicants, instructed in the necessity of discerning the Lord's body? What does that mean to discern the Lord's body? And why does God's Word give it such prominence, even to saying, talk about warning of damnation or condemnation and judgment, not going to hell? That's not what it means. But it means the uh, condemnation. Uh, displeasure, disfavor of the Lord to those who who fail to do it. How can people be subject to condemnation if they're simply eating the bread and drinking the wine in memory of Jesus' sacrifice? So those questions have to be faced by those who believe the Lord's Supper is just a memorial. And among other scriptural considerations, I believe it, it's more than just a memorial. Um, We don't have, I don't want to take the time to go through each of these others and, and tell you. I, I will say on the, on the issue of the real presence, uh, this idea of, of Christ being, the, the, being his actual body and his actual blood, uh, that means the priest has the power to call God down from heaven. And some have actually said, I didn't written this, Uh, that the priest has the power to call God down from heaven and to call him to become a piece of bread. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty blasphemous to me. And it's actually written, and I was uh, listening to a sermon not too long ago, a a, a recorded sermon where they were quoting a priest who had written this who said, yes, priests have the power to have Jesus do what they tell him to do. And that's what uh, at least many believe. 
I do want to go talk about a little bit before we finish about this question of children because it is so controversial and I said a lot of churches, Protestant reform, reformed Protestant churches, good, good solid churches more or less, have split. Many of them have split over this issue of what's called pedo communion. Now, it says, examine yourself. We read that. What does it mean to examine yourself? Well, it means. I think we all know what examine yourself means. You look into your heart, right? Your thoughts, your desires. Your, you desi- decide as best you know whether or not you truly believe in Christ in your sa- as your Savior and you prove it in your life. In other words, you believe that you are converted. You're a child of God. doesn't mean you ever, never have doubts, but it means overall, generally, yeah, you're, you're, you believe you're, you're, uh, you're a child of God. And, in other words, well, so that's, that's examining yourself. Um, can infants and very young children examine themselves? I would say not. Not the way this is talking about. And... They therefore cannot be admitted to the Lord's table until they're old enough to profess that they can do that. Now, it says, discern the Lord's body in 1 Corinthians 11.29. What does it mean to discern the Lord's body? Well, think about it. It means you understand, discern, understand what's happening in the Lord's Supper, at least fundamentally, why you're there and what it means to you, and what it means to gather with the people of God to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, can infants and very young children do that? I Again, I would say no. Uh, and apparently from Scripture, since you need to do that, uh, we wait until they're old enough to do that. In this way... Well, I'll skip that part. So allowing those who don't have the spiritual maturity, whether because of age or of ungodliness, and remember what Paul says, well, some of you are just you know rowdy here. Uh, well, they're acting like children. And they shouldn't be admitted to the table either. And Paul says that. Uh, so whether they're, they don't have the spiritual maturity, whether because of age uh, or because they're uh, uh, ungodly adults, rebellious adults, to be able to discern the Lord's body and the supper is, in the words of Scripture, not to eat the Lord's supper. They're not really receiving the sacrament if they do. Paul says you're not really getting receiving the Lord's supper. They're just eating and drinking. And he says that to their own judgment, their own condemnation. It's also in verse 22 in 1 Corinthians 11, quote, despising the church of God. So permitting those to the Lord's table who cannot, small little children, or will not, ungodly older children or ungodly adults, who will or cannot discern the Lord's body, what Paul is saying is profanes the sacrament. The Lord's Supper is, among other things, a sign of conversion. It's the sealing, all the benefits thereof unto true believers. 
Uh, it's their, quote, uh, further engagement in and to all the duties which they owe unto him. This is a Westminster uh, uh, larger catechism, I believe. And to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So as much as we love our children, can infants and very young children know themselves as, quote, members of his mystical body? Now, some young children can. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. Uh, but then the question becomes, how far uh, can they go with that, and how far does the church take it with them? Can infants and very young children know, quote, the duties which they owe unto him? Okay. Infants can't, obviously. Can they yet know what it means to be, quote, a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with other believers in Christ? Can they examine themselves? Can they discern the Lord's body? So for all these reasons, infants particularly are not qualified to take communion and shouldn't be admitted to the table until they're ready. Yes, they are covenant children. Don't make that mistake. I'm not saying they're not covenant children and are to be baptized or are baptized. But that's not the qualifications God's Word imposes to take the Lord's Supper. Baptism is to be administered to our covenant infants. But the Lord's Supper is another sacrament which He reserves for spiritual maturity. It's the one that is to be administered in those in the covenant who have the capacity to examine themselves as Scripture requires and to understand the meaning of the sacrament. In Exodus chapter 12, referring to the Passover, verse 26, it says, And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? In other words, what's the Passover thing all about? What do you mean by the service? Notice it doesn't say, What do we mean by the service? They're not saying, Mom and Dad, what does it mean when we engage in the Passover? It says, what does it mean when you have to engage in the Passover? As this verse in Exodus 12, 4 uh, uh, also, also says, uh, Exodus 12, 27 instructs the fathers how to answer their children's questions. In other words, this is catechizing the children, preparing them for full participation in the life of the Old Testament church, including the Passover, which, of course, became the Lord's Supper under Christ's ordinance. So, just a, a quick note on those who advocate paedo communion, permitting, permitting very young children, even infants, to receive the Lord's Supper. They seem to confuse regeneration and conversion. The advocates of paedo communion don't seem to understand the difference or choose to ignore it. Infants and very young children can be elect and therefore regenerate. And if they die at that age, they will go to heaven as regenerate, elect, saved, but unconverted children. But to come to the Lord's table, one needs to be converted. Now, how old should a child be before they're admitted to the Lord's Supper? There's precious little in Scripture to guide us on this point. Uh, when a child has been catechized, you know, studies the, the uh, in our church studies the Westminster Catechism, shorter catechism, is able to give a credible profession of faith, uh, can can explain on, on their level what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, all of this taking into consideration the age of the child, expecting no more than is reasonable for their age. Um, when the child can do such a thing, then he or she should be welcomed with open arms to the table of the Lord. 
There are, there are a lot of other questions about you know the, the those who can't physically make such a profession and all, but I'm not going to go into that, Lord willing, some other time. Perhaps we can do. To finish up, chapter 29 of the Westminster Confession, which is a summary of what the Bible teaches. It's not infallible, by the way. Uh, Only the Bible is inerrant and infallible, but uh, the Westminster Confession is a summary of what the Bible teaches, and it's become known as the Reformed Position. Asserts that the Lord's Supper involves not only the memory of Christ, the perpetual remembrance of his sacrifice, but what's called the sealing of all benefits of that sacrifice to true believers, I'm quoting, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So, wow. I mean, that's a lot more than just taking a little bread and a little wine uh, and thinking about Jesus, which is... Not what a lot of people think it is. But it's also not the other extreme, believing that when we eat the bread and drink the wine that we're magically eating his real body and drinking his real blood. I mean, when Jesus said, this is my body, did he break off one of his fingers and give it to the apostles? No. He gave them a piece of bread. Uh, he also said, I am the door. And we've talked about this before. Does anybody teach that he is a door? physical door. No, they knew that that was, that was a, a symbol. Well, the same way, this is my body is a symbol. The wine, this is my blood, this is a symbol. Uh, by the way, even if we accepted that, even if we said, yeah, he really meant that, what's the belief there for that doing it today in church makes that piece of bread and that wine his body and blood? Why do we just kind of Oh, well, he did it then 2,000 years ago, and that was really his body and blood, so therefore today this becomes his body and blood. There's a disconnect there. There's no biblical reason to to think there's any connection, even if we grant that, which we don't. So to conclude, the Westminster Confession, which I was looking at before, says seven things about the Lord's Supper in in, uh, chapter 29, part 1. It says the Lord's Supper is a perpetual remembrance. That number two seals the benefits of Christ's death unto true believers. And that gives us three, spiritual nourishment and four, spiritual growth. And also gives us number five, further engagement in and to all duties which we owe to him. Further engagement means a renewed commitment to doing his will. To doing his will. It's not just a sign, it's also a seal. It readily conveys grace, really strengthens our faith. It doesn't cause faith. You're not going to convert somebody by giving them the Lord's Supper. That would be blasphemous as well. But strengthens the faith we're already given. It also says the Lord's Supper is number six, a bond and pledge of our communion with Christ. That is, we are in a sense one with Christ. Expressed, well, in Paul's words in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ... And again, a very similar verse, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Number seven, it's also a bond and pledge of our communion with each other. I mean, you talked about that. There's so much of the Lord's Supper. We haven't even talked about that. It's not we do it individually. We come together as one. 
spiritually as one, a union of believers. And so it's a bond and pledge of our communion with each other. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, uh, excuse me, 17, for we being many, Paul writes, and one body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. We are one in Christ and one in each other as his body. Let's finish by reading John chapter 17, beginning verse 20, if you would turn to that, please. Christ praying to the Father before he is to go to the cross. John chapter 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in me. And that unity is very much a part of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, we have uh, looked at thy word this morning and we thank thee for it. We thank thee for the blessings that we are about to receive through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And Father, we uh, ask that uh, what we have learned and read this morning through thy word be uh, that thou would administer to our hearts and that we approach the Lord's Supper with a deeper understanding and of uh, what it means and receive, therefore, even deeper blessings uh, than before. Father, we thank Thee for Thy great love, for sending our son, Thy Son, Jesus Christ, unto us, for the communication of Thy Holy Spirit, for the light and liberty of the Gospel, and the blessings revealed therein. Father, we pray for the continuance of the Gospel and all ordinance there, thereof. And uh, we thank Thee, Lord, for... Uh, for what Thou hast done in, in our hearts, in our lives, Father. And so we continue to ask Thy blessings upon us, Father. For it is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Our uh, psalm is 31E. Please turn to the RP Psalter, which is this maroon Psalter, for our final selection. As our pastor said, comes from Psalm 31, 31e. In you, Lord, I take refuge, ashamed let me not be, your righteousness eternal, expressed by saving me. Incline your ear to hear me, with speed deliver me, 
to me, O be a strong rock, a fort to rescue me, and so on. The tune is Lancashire. Goes like this. Da 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 Let's stand and sing this portion together. In you, Lord, I take refuge. Shame, let me not be. Your righteousness eternal, expressed by saving me. the benediction, please. From 1 Kings. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord your God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Amen.